Welcome to an AONN Plus podcast event created to provide a platform to engage and inform membership on relevant topics which impact your professional practice. The focus is on the AONN Plus eight domains of knowledge. This podcast will highlight the Navigator Pledge that was developed in 2017. As a navigator, I pledge my head to share knowledge for informed decision making, my heart to empower advocacy and loyalty, my hands to deliver compassion and remove barriers, my hope to embrace and preserve quality of life. Navigators have within themselves the inner strength, the power, and the fortitude to do what is needed for patients. They should never doubt their abilities, knowledge, or willpower to make things happen. Thank you for joining us as we honor the Navigators, special people that make a difference in the lives of those around them. This month's episode of Heart and Soul Navigation, COVID-Driven Innovation, Virtual Team Awards, is sponsored by Genentech. Good afternoon. I'm Cindy Barnard, a representative from the Technology and Innovation Committee with AONN. Professionally, I have been a nurse navigator with breast cancer patients, but I have left the clinical setting about four years ago. Currently, I am a senior clinical expert nurse navigator with Roche Information Solutions, which is a digital healthcare business. Hi, my name is Zalipa Cruz, and I'm the director for oncology navigation at Ballot Health in Northeast Tennessee in Southwest Virginia, where we have 25 navigators composed of nurse navigators, community navigators, and lung nodule navigators. So today we're going to be discussing with tumor board or case conferences, some of the challenges that occurred during the pandemic, some of the roles and responsibility changes, some of the barriers that happened during that time, and then just forecasting in the future what the take is on doing case conferences or virtual tumor boards in the future. Prior to coming to Roche, I did work as a nurse navigator for breast cancer patients. I was part of tumor boards twice a month for several years. And so we're going to start out our conversation today. I'm going to tee it up first asking Zalipa, in your clinical scenario, did the roles and responsibilities change for the nurse navigators when all of a sudden the pandemic hit and the tumor boards went virtual? Yes, absolutely. So I think if we backed up, there's already controversy in the navigation culture of this tumor boards and cancer conference, do they lie in navigation or do they lie with cancer registry? So when you already have that responsibility and the nurse navigators are facilitating tumor boards and then you add on a pandemic, you're really going to get something interesting. So not only were the navigators doing their role with cancer conference, tumor board, and people felt one way or another, but now they had turned into IT experts. And anybody that's a nurse knows that is not taught in nursing school. So their roles changed dramatically and they suddenly became the 
content experts for whatever virtual platform we were using. I had one navigator create a whole PowerPoint on step-by-step. This is how you join Cancer Conference. This is how you don't put yourself on mute. We had a lot of just jokes going back and forth of hashtag don't put yourself on hold on WebEx (laughs) because it would give you the ballot health hold music and trying to figure out who that is while discussing a case. So I think that was the biggest change in their role and responsibility. They were already familiar with facilitating conferences, but now they had kind of put on another hat of now they became these IT experts in whatever virtual platform we were using. What about your team? Very good point. As I indicated at the beginning, I'm no longer patient facing. So I'm primarily working with oncology workflow. And I've been working with a product with our company that is a virtual platform. And one interesting piece is prior to the pandemic, there was a moderate amount of interest. But I would say once the pandemic hit, everything virtual, everything telehealth, everything was kind of going forward, pivoting on a dime, let's get these digital health solutions out there. And so we found that our customers were asking for help pretty quickly because prior to this, it wasn't a have-to situation. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things every Friday turned into, I was training a new radiologist. So we ended up having Test WebEx, which was the platform we used, which there's multiple platforms out there, but the platform that we had already been using. And so it just fit nicely to then use. I ended up doing a test with a different radiologist every Friday for a couple of months because it would be a rotation of what radiologists would be in cancer conference tumor board. So it's been very interesting to see how the roles and responsibilities have changed of the nurse navigator due to COVID. Wow. And I bet you didn't get any pushback from any of the physicians or anything, huh? No, they actually initiated it one time. They initiated it for their fellows. Yeah, because we didn't come up with the idea. They asked for the test. So I was like, sure. Yeah. So that was a different change of climate, you know, and environment. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely. I know some organizations throughout the world, really, there was some lag time, quite honestly, getting started with a virtual tumor board because things happened so quickly and staff was being pulled in other areas. Some nurse navigators were being asked to work from home. And I was just curious, in your organization, were you able to pivot to that virtual platform quickly? I know in some places it was up to two months before they really got a handle on how to continue going forward with their case conferences. Yeah, definitely. When you talk about barriers you encountered, one of my cancer conferences, I run six of them. And one of them, the it's not ran by a nurse navigator. It's ran by a community navigator who is a radiation therapist by trade. And they furloughed all of my team that were not nurse navigators. So they felt like we really just needed clinical hands on deck. We were going through a struggle financially as an organization, like so many other hospitals due to COVID and really needed to recover the money through means of furloughing team members. And so we quickly had to learn and pivot 
utilizing another nurse navigator to then take on that role of facilitating the tumor board. The other barrier was not only furlough, but it was really driven by whoever that medical director was or that facility. So although I had six different tumor boards, they did not all start virtually at the same time. So my smaller hospital actually went virtual first, and then some of the other ones kind of held off and waited. And then the rooms that we were also doing tumor board in were being used as incident command for COVID. So that kind of forced us to go virtual as well and became a barrier of not only could we just meet in that room, just one of us or 10 or less as our role had been early on in COVID and with social distancing, we had to find a whole nother space. And then it becomes with equipment in that room to do that beyond just a laptop. So the whole point is that there's not just one barrier, but that there were several barriers just in different aspects. And then you face barriers as you go along as well. Absolutely. Well, that's quite interesting. So you're changing staffing, you're doing more with less, you're changing the roles of what you're doing, you're actually having to change where you're doing the tumor boards if you are meeting virtually, or there's a lag time in picking up and having that continuity of care with their patients. And I'm curious, who made the decision as to whether or not your tumor boards would be virtual or in-person. And then after the pandemic, did you remain virtual? Yeah, I'd be interested. I think we share a lot of similar barriers, but definitely the medical directors or whoever was that physician champion for that tumor board made the decision. Sometimes they would look to the navigators. So when we go back to thinking about roles and responsibilities, they would often look to the navigators on, hey, what should we do? But we really wanted to punt that back to the physician champions and the medical directors and even those leaders of those cancer centers to say, we're going to go virtual. And then what do we plan to do afterwards? Some of it was kind of positive peer pressure too. If one cancer center went virtual and the other cancer center found out, I had a supervisor call me and she's like, wait, you mean the other cancer centers have been having cancer conference virtual for the past eight months and we haven't? I said, yes, ma'am. And so she's like, oh, I had no idea. And so it was kind of a little positive competition, you know, that you often see in healthcare. And so they started from there, but it was really led by the physicians. And then to your other question, most of them have gone back in person. However, there are two that are still virtually and one, the physician medical director decided to go virtual until the end of the year. So I think, Cindy, you have some great points about that of we often talk about telehealth and even virtual tumor boards being the toothpaste that you can't get back in the tube. So I'd like to hear kind of your insight on that you brought to me of hearing that some were actually going back in person. Well, it was pretty much all over the map. So I think in my experiences with customers and people that I was talking to out in the field, it became something that they wanted to keep going forward, going virtual, maybe improving their process and how they were doing the virtual tumor boards instead of just throwing things together very quickly. And there have been some experimentation with other types of platforms out there as well. So that is another plus and a positive. 
I'm curious, though, on some that did still want to revert back to the in-person meetings, why do you think the cancer care teams wanted to go back to the in-person part? I would think the convenience of being virtual now, just like with our telehealth appointments that some of us had even personally with our own physician, out of convenience would be possibly more convenient or would be more popular? Absolutely. Yeah, great question. Honestly, until we really had had this podcast and thought about it, I think I was too far in the weeds to really understand kind of the question that you brought out about, well, why would you even go back? Isn't it convenient and actually cuts down time? And actually, you think of our budget and even the amount of money that we put towards meals because we have it at lunchtime, you can almost eliminate that budget line item, right? So it's kind of a win-win all around. I think ultimately, there's a couple of answers. Some of my physicians never felt comfortable with the virtual platform. It didn't matter how many tests we did, how often I showed them how to do it, how often I even started it for them. They never felt comfortable. And I think honestly, it came at a bad time too, where they had physicians leaving. So they were short staffed. We just all went on Epic system-wide October 2020, and they're still trying to use that system. We did that in the middle of a pandemic, and then we also switched to Microsoft 10, and so we got a whole new Windows. And so they honestly looked at me, some of them, and were like, okay, and now you want me to learn another computer system when I'm still catching my breath from this one? So I think as convenient as it was, it was just a level of going back to what they knew and were comfortable with rather than once again, learning something new on top of all the other changes that had already taken place prior to this. And then I think some of it too, is we just get stuck in what we know. You know, it's common in healthcare to just say, oh, well, why are you guys doing it this way? Oh, well, that's the way we've always done it. You know, that's a popular answer. And so I think part of it too was just, oh, this is only what we're doing for COVID, but not to really think about the positive effects it may have had, but to just, oh, well, now that our vaccination rate has increased and we're seeing less cases, let's go back to what we were doing. Instead of, hey, let's pause and see how effective this was or pros and cons, you know, being virtual. And if there's more pros, let's stick with this. Very good, very good points. And I would also be interested out of that population of physicians, how many were older physicians and how many were younger and even the comfort level of using IT itself. And I met that average age of the nurse that's going to be retiring soon. So I kind of grew up through the technology age in the 90s, the late 80s and 90s. So I've had that learning curve. And so sometimes I'm that person that shies away from something new technology wise. So that also plays a factor. I think that is quite interesting, but going forward, doing things virtually and digital health in general is the wave of the future. So it will be very interesting to see how changes are made as a result of the pandemic. And certainly the pandemic has really fast forwarded the processes in cancer centers all around the world. They either did without or they tried something new or they tried something new and they went back to the old is what it sounds like. Absolutely. And, you know, the interesting point, too, is 
I had a provider even question me on if we should even start back because he didn't see any changes in the level of care or care to his patients having cancer conference. Now, this is one that's not done often. It's once a month. And so he was stating to me, well, Zalipa, what changes have been made or have we lost in care of the patient due to not having cancer conference in six months? And he he brought a valid question, you know, when you only do it once a month. And that would really be the questions that we would challenge, you know, the AONN members and those listening to really ask themselves roles and responsibilities, barriers, but then also just cancer conferences, tumor boards, the frequency, are they general? Are they not general? You know, I think all of those come into play too when you look at what are virtual tumor boards here to stay. So with theirs being once a month, they were like, we don't see the need in being virtual once a month. We can just meet in person. When I learned it one month and then I've forgotten it by the next month, you know, it was kind of one of the the all seasoned, I guess, medical oncologists, I'll say. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. And also, I think another factor that plays into it is whether you're more of a rural cancer center, if you're a teaching hospital and a larger facility where you have residents and interns and so forth people that might be more early adopters when it comes to utilizing IT platforms that can pivot and learn easier versus even being out in the outlying areas, the real rural areas, sometimes having the ability to utilize a virtual platform can be very advantageous for them. Absolutely. And I think throughout all of this, I always try to point my team back to the why and back to the patient. And if we think about the role of tumor boards, it was to have that multidisciplinary team there to discuss the patient in order to then have all of these disciplines at the table and expedite recommendations. But I also think that the COVID-driven innovations of virtual tumor boards or once again, and attest to just how phenomenal nurse navigators are at being nimble, at learning on the spot. We often joke about it, but it's often, oh, give it to the nurse navigators. You know, anything kind of left over that's trickling in anything, oh, a nurse navigator can do that. And it's our crutch, but it's also our positive. And so just kudos, you know, to navigation as a whole, it just the great job that they've been doing, whether they've had to go frontline and then come back or be home and come back or their role didn't change at all, except for going virtually with tumor boards. It still speaks to the culture of navigation of, You're going to do whatever you can for the patient directly and indirectly. I couldn't have said it better. And I was thinking the same thing. Kudos to all the nurse navigators out there that have made it through 2020 and are continuing to make it through 2021, serving and caring for our patients under very extreme circumstances. And as we wrap up, the rest of our conversation. I just wanted to put a plug in for Navify Tumor Board at www.navify.com. That's N-A-V-I-F-Y.com. And that is a virtual platform that I have been working with in the last couple of years with Roche. And I want to thank you for having me on as a guest speaker today. 
Yes, and from Zalipa, thank you all. We hope that you took away some meaningful information as well as questions to ask yourself and your organization. And ultimately, we leave you with the question of our virtual tumor boards, cancer conferences here to stay and where do we go from there? And we're an ever-evolving discipline, nurse navigation. So how do we support where we go and actually even stay ahead of it. And I think we've done a great job at that and we'll continue to. And there's great platforms like Navify that I've actually done a whole visit and seen myself that are great to support navigators that are still facilitating tumor boards. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. And thanks everyone for joining us on the call. Thank you once again to our generous sponsor, Genentech, for making this special AONN Plus podcast episode possible. Thank you for joining AONN Plus and today's engagement with key knowledge leaders to enhance your navigation practice or program. Please visit aonnonline.org for other navigation tools, education, and best practices to advance the role of patient navigation in cancer care across the care continuum.